your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. It's been an absolutely unbelievable day from the moment you woke up. And really, last two weeks, I mean, if you thought two weeks ago was crazy. It's just escalated and gotten more and more frantic. So we're going to try to run through a list of topics right off the top. Uh, Pleased to be joined by Alex. Wish it was under better, more joyous circumstances, but here we are. How you doing, Alex? I legitimately have just been trying to keep up and catch up on the news after work. And so the first topic, clearly Frank is gone. And that was only just yesterday, right? It feels like, I mean, maybe it's because we we knew it was coming, you know, in general. Um, and it was kind of written in the stars, but uh, the fact that that feels forever ago and it's just, you know, the the old news is pretty wild in a bad way. Yeah, I mean, it literally, you know, Ryan and I were doing some stuff. I did was on was on the radio in the UK. Oh, my goodness. Talking about Frank potentially being sacked just two nights ago. Next morning, turns out he was. And I mean, everyone reported it before the club released it, which is uh, at this point kind of expected. A little ridiculous. I saw them taking a lot of flack for uh, not releasing the or releasing the announcement in a prompt manner. I mean, it feels like I don't know. At this point, that's the least of our worries is is prompt announcements. But Frank's gone. The search for his replacement is on. Um, you know, I think I think we've been pretty clear on the pod as to our take. We've felt it's probably long overdue at this point. The results weren't turning in any sort of different direction. It seemed like it was only getting worse. But now that he's officially gone, Alex, do you feel a sense of did you, I guess, did you feel a sense of relief yesterday? Because I definitely did. And especially with some of the links for managers that started coming out, it was like, okay, this maybe is a, a chance for a new beginning, save our, save our club from relegation, make a smart appointment. Don't make the same mistakes that we've made a hundred times in the past since Farhad Mashiri has taken over. Um, and, and just 24 hours later, it seems like a lot of that's gone out the window, but talk me through kind of your thought process over the last 24 to 36 hours. Yeah, I mean, look, I he had to go. I don't think that he was going to get us out of the you know situation we were in. Um, it's no news or surprise to anyone that like we really haven't played any good football this year. Um, you know, we've got we've got the the single game, the Southampton game. But that's pretty much it. I just I, I just hate how late it came. Um, you know, it took a handful of, of six pointers against a lot of clubs towards the bottom of the table. Um, you know, it took three quarters of the January transfer window, the last the last chance we have to get things, um, the squad specifically situated in order to look at the next, you know, four or five months. Um, so I, I think I think now it becomes, you know, and as we mentioned on, on, on the pod, it becomes a, a chicken and egg situation because, you know, and, and this will segue into kind of our next topic, uh, whether we want to now or not. But, um, you know, how are players going to come when they don't even know who their coach is going to be? Um, some of these guys, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a career defining moment, you know, for example, Dan Juma, right. You know, everyone thought he's coming for playing time. Um, you know, clearly that's not going to work out. And, um, we, we are in a very bad situation. I think it's going to take a lot of luck, um, and a lot of very solid execution that we haven't seen before in order to, you know, propel the club towards, you know, out of the relegation spaces. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, and, and that does segue nicely and very professionally on your part into the Danjuma U-turn, which was the first, we love first of many outrageous headlines today. You know, we got the Fabrizio Romano. Here we go. 
apparently a lot of the media work was done. He had been at Finch Farm and met with players, according to the Bobble, who they hosted a great space earlier today. It was, by all accounts, done and dusted, except for he hadn't submitted his paperwork to the FA. And it seems like he woke up this morning and... Um, Based on, you know, the rumors I've heard, I've heard a lot of people blaming Felwell, a lot of people blaming the board. This, these types of things typically come down to, and, and the Bobble said as much, is just agent shadiness, agents doing last minute deals, sweeping players out from under our noses. Uh, and Spurs obviously played a role. I did see a tweet, and I forgot that, that Greta Steinson, our former head of recruitment under Marcel Brands, is now the head of recruitment of Spurs, um, who basically probably saw this coming and just was, you know, knew what roofs we probably were and able to be taken advantage of. And that's what happens when you take weeks to get deals done. Um, and the fact that other clubs are able to turn these deals around in 24 hours, uh, just a further indictment of the, the poor leadership and execution of this um, group of people that are in charge at Everton. Um, we've had this happen before, Dembele in the recent past, there's been plenty of others, but this one, especially given how desperate our situation is, really, really cut deep and hurt a lot. Um, he was, I think, a really, really – would have been a really strong addition to the squad in an area of desperate need. Um, that one was really tough to process, just to kick off the day with a, with a swift kick in the head. Well, what makes it worse is the fact that that was going to be such a solid you know, loan signing for us, even though it, you know, it didn't seem like we were going to be able to get any sort of option even in there because – I mean, it, it's pretty clear. Like he is, he is a level above what we've got currently, um, and he offers a lot of exactly what we need. He needed the playing time. Everything made sense. Uh, of course, he seemed like he was so up for the challenge. Um, so I think that that makes it hurt hurt worse. Obviously, you know, I'll, I'll throw a Spurs dig in there and say they're only doing it to us because they can't do it to the clubs they claim to compete against. Uh, but otherwise, you know. <laughs> I had to. Sorry, we got to take pot shots at this point. Honestly, yeah, I know. I was about to say, don't don't quote me from like 2014 because that's when it all just started to turn south between the two. But of it's us, like it, we're not even. He's not even going to play there. Richarlison doesn't play there, and I'm not making any point that hasn't been made a lot on Twitter today. But it's got to be wages. It's got to be something. But that the whole thing is so strange because you know you heard rumors he turned down better offers from presumably clubs in better position than us for the playing time he would get or he just wanted the challenge of coming to Everton to prove himself, whatever it may have been. And for that to just all go out the window um, and him to go to a place where he's going to be, you know, fourth or fifth option at best, uh, really hard to understand the rationale there other than agents trying to get a nice cut. Well, I think, I, I think I saw one rumor. Um, I don't think it was fab though. They stated that they thought Spurs as part of their, their loan deal was an option. And so I wonder if, you know, wonder if he's driven by the fact that, and if that's true, and if it works out that way, that, hey, I might actually have an option at Spurs. So maybe I don't play right now, but maybe they'll pick me up and I'd love to live in London. Who knows? Speculation, but whatever I can get by on. Well, at this point, there's a lot of speculation going around. Um, why don't we get Garrett up here to get his thoughts on the Dan Juma saga and or Frank being sacked. Garrett, hopefully you can connect here. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Hope all is well. Well, obviously not all is well, but some as well. Of, uh... Some as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Garrett, walk us through what you think of uh, – we're, we're trying to keep it specifically to, I guess, just Frank sacking and Dan Juma. Obviously, there's a lot more to get into, but – um, kind of just walking through the news of the day in a linear way. Curious to hear your take. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll start with Frank. Um, you know, I, I agree, like, it, this was a long time coming. It should have been done weeks, if not months ago. And I went on Toffee TV um, before I left to come back to the States. And 
I was saying, you know, if, if there's any possibility that he gets sacked later in the season, you know, unless you're 100% sure that you're keeping him throughout the whole year, after those Bournemouth games would have been a good time to do it, to be honest, because, uh, you know, you have not only time to find a new manager, not in the middle of a congested run of fixtures, but then also they have the majority of the squad not at the World Cup in training for multiple weeks to bet in new ideas, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have all of December uh, to you know, come up with a short list of January acquisitions. And instead, we sack him now, and we're in the exact same position as last year where the manager is going to get what? This new manager will get four days of the January, January transfer window to try, to try to save our season, and we'll end up with you know more signings on the level of Donny Van de Beek and Delhi. So um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just very pessimistic at the moment. Um, none of the options in the media are particularly – you know, encouraging. It seems like a lot of names are just being thrown around. Um, so that's my take on the Frank sacking. I think it was done way too late. And now we find ourselves in arguably a worse position, you know, probably definitely a worse position than we were last year. Cause we're actually, you know, in the relegation zone joint bottom of the league right now. So yeah, not great. And then on, on the Dan Juma news, I woke up to, you know, some friends in my FPL group chat being like, Oh God, I Gareth could be so mad when he wakes up. And I woke up and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And it was, you know, surprising, but also so unsurprising at the same time. Because could you think of a more Everton thing to happen than the one glimmer of hope we have to get snatched away from us at the last second? No, it's it's so typical. So typical. So, so Garrett, back to the, to the Bournemouth comment, right? Because you said you felt that, you know, maybe Frank should have left then. That was the second game against Bournemouth was November 12th. I found it interesting because um, Unai Emery was hired by mm-hmm. Villa November 1st, right? So And he's won, you know, what, we're he's obviously, won seven of his first 12 games, I believe, is the stat. And right. they've completely flipped the season around. Right. And, and you, you look at, okay, you know, Villa versus Everton in terms of size of club, whatever. I, I'm not going to comment on comparing the structures. But I think the point is, now you wait until the end of January. Um, you're not going to have, and, and the current situation, right, which is much harder to get out mm-hmm. of than, let's say, if you address it at Bournemouth, you know, prior to the World Cup, for example, um, that's the sort of name that maybe we had a chance at attracting, right? Now, you know, coaches with with a, a, a very solid personal brand and, and guys that you would think um, are waiting for the right opportunity that want to succeed, generally speaking, you know, that's what people successful in industries <laughs> do. Um, you wonder where that's going to leave us in the next week yeah, or so in regards to, you know, who we end up picking they up. Jump on in a, a, yeah. And, and, you know, as I don't really hate the Bielsa idea, I just think it's bad timing. You know, if we had done, for example, we sack Lampard after we get battered 7-1 over two games in Bournemouth. I was at both of those games, by the way, made the, you know, 10-hour round trip, whatever it is, from Liverpool Uh-oh. down. If, if you give Bielsa those six weeks and then a January transfer window to try to bet in his, you know, radical style of football, we can say, maybe there would be a chance. But, you know, if Bielsa came in right now, would he be able to impart those ideas in any way that doesn't just see us conceding five goals a game like his Leeds team did right before he was sacked last season? Probably not. So, yeah, I, I mean... I totally agree with that, Alex. And I think just the timing of this, it's just more, it's just more ineptitude. It's more inadequacy, more incompetency from Farhad Mashiri and everyone else running the club. And I'm not surprised. Does it hurt? Yeah, of course it does. But it's just at this point, I feel like I'm numb to it. 
It really is. And, and we mentioned it on the last pod, but it, I started to feel a little bit of optimism after the manager rumors. And, and Garrett, you mentioned Bielsa, an, an unintentional segue on your part, because that was our next topic. Talking <laughs> about the, the links and the rumors to Marcelo Bielsa. I mean, what what world would we expect? For, what, what world does Farhad Mashiri think he's in that he's going to persuade a guy like that to come to us in our current state? I mean, the guy who's going to do every level of due diligence above and beyond what you would mm-hmm. expect mm-hmm. Um, anyone to do. And he's not in it for purely the money. He wants an enticing project. And I think in a lot of ways, the Everton project, like the prospect of taking Everton up the league back where they formerly were, would be really appealing to him. But yeah. below like the very surface level, everything underpinning the club right now, from the leadership to the finances to any, basically everything besides this prospective stadium is in complete disarray. And he's not going to put his stamp on that. And we have no money to spend. And he said our squad's too slow, which, you know, that's the rumor. That's partially why he allegedly rejected the offer. But to me, I mean, he would have had one conversation with the leadership, you know, not even to mention the, the shady links to Uzmanov that are becoming clearer by the day. And he would have said, uh, you know, he's a guy who's renowned for his integrity. He would have taken one look at that and said, uh, no, thanks. I'm going to pass. That's going to be a hard pass for me. And I, I would not blame him. I don't blame him one bit for that. Tactically, no. we don't have the squad for it. And just, I, I mean, guess, I as think a there are there are some players who I think would be very good under Bielsa. Agreed. Like I think, I think Ben Godfrey, Iwobi, Damari Gray, et cetera, et cetera, could be really good. Um, but yeah, I agree because the fact of the matter is that you know we've sacked seven managers or whatever, and the actual structure of the club hasn't changed. The director of football still is not allowed to direct football as shown by this manager search right now, you know, you'd think that maybe we've learned from the seven years of mistakes that we've been doing the same thing over and over and over and over expecting a different result. And, you know, yeah. Okay. We had a slight uptick in form because we happened to have, you know, one of the best managers of all time, but then he jumped ship and I was mad about that at first, but I don't blame him because Mashiri and brands and Felwell and Steve Walsh, it's just bad decision after bad decision. So I mean, I don't know where Mashiri's head is at. It's another, you know, he wants this Hollywood, la, la, la. But all that's done is just drag us further and further down. Yet he still comes out with this interview again, uh, you know, with Jazz, who all respect to Jazz. Great guy. I got to meet him while I was over there. But, you know, it, it, he's just spouting a bunch of nonsense. Oh, we've built the foundations. Oh, we've, you know, I have full faith in the board. Bill Kenred's one of the most loved and respected men in football. Like, give me a break, man. You're not convincing anybody. We've all had it up to here with you. And you'd think that these, the protests and the banners, et cetera, et cetera. Last season, it was Sack Rafa. It was this and that, right? Now it's very clear what the stance of the Everton fans is. And unless Mashiri, you know, can swallow his pride and actually make systemic changes to the football club, there is no reconciling that difference. That is a rift that will not be healed. And that's why I'm just praying to whatever God you want that Mashiri sells up. But I just don't see that happening until the stadium's finished. So, you know, maybe we'll have our beautiful 52,000-seater stadium in League One a la Sunderland. So hopefully not. Yeah, let's let's hope and pray that that doesn't come to pass, Garrett. But, I mean, I think you, you hit a lot of stuff exactly correct, in my opinion, the, the disarray, all of it. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about that as we go. Um, Gary, before we let you go and get some other folks up here, who would you have come in as the next Everton manager? God, um, it's such a tough question. I feel like there isn't really any good options. Personally, I feel like we're kind of doomed no matter what we do. Sorry to be that guy, but uh, that's how I feel. I, I, I don't know. Go Dice. Why not? I feel like it's 
Bielsa is not going to have enough time. As much as I think Bielsa maybe would be good to try to get us up next season, um, because, you know, we did that really well with Leeds. I think you're right. He would be a fool to join us at this point. Um, so maybe Dyche and we pray that we can, you know, just park the bus our way to 38 points and, you know, somehow Southampton Wolves and one other team fall below us. So I, I guess that would be my best guess, but I don't really have a clue. I think it's a untenable, unsavable situation at the moment. Um, so, yeah. Thanks for having me on there, guys. Yeah, appreciate it, Garrett. I mean, I don't think you're alone in that feeling or opinion. It's been a very demoralizing day for a lot of us out there. So appreciate you coming on, giving your thoughts and uh, best wishes for your and all of our collective sanity. Let's get uh, let's get NorCal Toffee. Actually, let's see. Let's get into our next topic. I'm trying to scramble around and organize myself here. Um, you always drive the bus well. <laughs> we appreciate you. Thanks, Alex. Uh, what do we have next, Alex? What's our next topic? You'll have to help me out. <clears throat> That's Anthony Gordon. Oh, uh, yes. Anthony Gordon, it's reported. We've seen it in, in advanced talks with Newcastle. Um, I've seen, you know, figures. At one point, there was a rumor it was going to be, you know, 25 mil plus 15 in add-ons now. Um, the latest rumor from Jacques Talbot is 35 mil plus 15 in add-ons as the rumored bid. Um, you know, Anthony Gordon was not present in training, obviously, uh, it then came out that apparently it was a planned absence, um, believe what you will. So the question really is James, how do we feel about the prospect of Gordon leaving towards the end of the window? Um, and in general, uh, I think, I think the value in the numbers, you know, clearly not, not what we seemingly asked for or wanted in the summer, but I think it can be argued that's in my opinion, you know, more than enough for what we're getting. For seven senior league goals. I mean, at this point, the sooner he leaves, the better, in my opinion. He contributes basically nothing going forward. He's, you know, we talk so much on the pod about really what a liability he's been in a lot of ways. So, um, talked about it on Twitter over the last couple of weeks. But Newcastle want to pay that type of fee for him. Um, it puts us in a bit of a tight spot because we have very little time to then reallocate those funds. But from a financial standpoint, you know, thirty-five million rising to fifty in pure profit. I mean, how could you not take that? Um, but that said, if you, you lose him, I don't think it really impacts our ability to stay up in any way. But uh, the fact that it's so late makes it really tricky. Um, but I, I think most fans at this point are kind of resigned to him leaving. It seems like he wants to go. He doesn't want to be here. So I'm totally okay with it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, same boat for me. And I mean, I just look at the fact that, you know, we've talked about it extensively, right? His best quality is the fact that, you know, he's a he's a pretty solid defensive winger, right? Or a defensive forward. However, I, I saw some quotes maybe labeling him a defensive midfielder in a way. But, uh, you know, it's clear that last year he shouldn't have got as much time as he did. Uh, this year, we put a lot of pressure on him, um, and he's gotten a ton of time, a ton of minutes until recently. I think realistically, I mean, 35 rising to 50 for a player that most of us agree is better off the bench, especially when, you know, he hasn't gotten it done this season, um, not even close to getting it done this season. And it's clear that, you know, Dan Juma was coming on the left-hand side. You know, we, we've seen we've seen Gordon play, you know, on the right-hand side before, but I would wager that anyone that we're looking to add in a starting winger spot you know, is going to play over Gordon instead of Gray. And and with that, with our FFP issues, um, I think it's time. Agreed. Let's get uh let's get NorCal Toffee in here. Who also if people want to come up and speak, feel free to uh raise your hand. We had some frantic Chelsea fan trying to get in here, but 
Uh, it's always a risk when you let fans of other clubs come in because they're probably just trying to troll us right now. It's been such a miserable day. Uh, is this A.A. Ron himself? It is. A.A. Ron. How you doing, man? Are you there? Yeah, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, loud and clear. Awesome. awesome. Sound off, man, sound off. How do you feel about Gordon Leadon? 35 plus 15. Um, I'd honestly bite Newcastle's handoff for anything over 25. So 35 plus 15 is fantastic. Um, I think, uh, James, you kind of hit the nail right on the head. He's just, he's not playing for us right now. Um, and the financial state we're in, you, we can't turn our nose up at that kind of money, even if it doesn't give us, um, you know, much time to, you know, quote unquote, find a replacement. We don't really need to replace much. He's not playing. So, um, you know, take the money and run, in my opinion. Um, he's not really given us much. And honestly, I, I tweeted it earlier, but I think this is kind of a win-win for everybody. Uh, because I do think Gordon still has potential. I just think he's probably reached the ceiling of what he's going to accomplish with us. And how can probably get something out of him. So I think it'll be a good move for him, too. I think, you know, we may look back realistically and say, you know, he ended up being improving and having a good career. I, I like the kid. I hope he does well. But um, I think it's a win-win for everybody. If it's just, it, I think it's just time to move on from Gordon at this point. And for that kind of money, I don't, I don't know how you can turn it down with the financial situation we're in. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it really seems like we're pretty much – I haven't seen anyone really advocate for keeping him. So it's funny how quickly in half a season the fan base has turned on a player because you know, we've been pretty consistent on the pod about re- realistically like what he's offered the squad. You know, People coming out of last season, the great escape, whatever, were saying he kept us up like by himself and some ridiculous things that were just based in Not no, at all. no objective reality whatsoever. and. You know, the struggles this season, the whole squad's been poor. There's no doubt about that. But he's he's one that really has struggled to contribute. Um, and it seems like people are mostly come around on that. And that said, I mean, some of the things I've seen tweeted about him are just totally unnecessarily cruel. Um, he still grew up as an Evertonian, whether he wants to uh, leave or not. So be it. That's a professional decision. And like, if we want to boo him when he comes back to Goodison Park, okay, fine. You're entitled to that. But like just tweeting nasty, nasty things. Um, I think it's just a bit over the line, but, you know, people are frustrated and they're going to express that frustration how they will. Um, Aaron, thoughts about any managerial links, the Dan Juma stuff, any other stuff that we've kind of hit on that you wanted to revisit? Um, No, actually, I originally um, requested to speak when, you know, you had started the um, episode off with the Frank Lampard situation and Garrett pretty much took the words right out of my mouth that um, those results after Bournemouth should have been the end of it. Um, we would have been able to give a new guy six months or six weeks, excuse me, um, during the World Cup break to work with the squad, um, implement some tactics. Because I, I think you could make a case that just purely from a talent perspective, regardless of tactics, just purely speaking from a talent perspective, you can make a case that there may be three teams worse than us in the Premier League right now. Um, we had no tactical setup from Frank, and I think that hurt us quite a bit. I think if we had a new manager in with those six weeks to work with the squad and a, you know, some tactical structure, we, looking at these last couple of games, we realistically could have had nine points with you know the right tactics from Southampton, West Ham, and uh, Wolves, and we got zero. We didn't get any points from those games, and those are the easiest matchups we were going to have, or the easiest stretch we should have had probably the rest of the season, um, and we didn't get any points from it, and I think that was preventable if we had made a change earlier when we should have, 
and uh, we didn't, and we left points on the table, and that could, you know, be the difference at the end of the season. Um, and real quick, I'll, I'll wrap it up as far as manager candidates go. Um, the two names that stuck out to me, uh, Domenico Tedesco and Marcelino, I think those would be two players that our board is probably too inept to go after or do homework on, um, but I think they could both work well in a director of football setup. They'd mesh with Kevin Thelwell, I think, Um Dominico Tedesco was actually in the Red Bull setup at the same time as Kevin Thelwell when he was with New York. I think Tedesco was already coaching Leipzig at that point. So there may be some ties there to what extent, I don't know. But it would symbolize some type of structure, which the club really desperately needs. 100%. And appreciate you, Aaron. I'm going to I'm gonna move you down now, um, but appreciate the thoughts and really appreciate you bringing up Tedesco because – he was the guy just looking at the list of free agents, you know, that, that really stuck out, you know, the young, young manager, incredible pedigree, really astute tactical mind. Um, I don't know if he'd even consider coming near us right now, but if he could be persuaded, it feels like that's the type of guy where if Kevin Thelwell truly is empowered to be making the footballing decisions, he'd be one that he'd very strongly consider. But, you know, the other links linked with Daesh, even the links with Big Sam, which I don't even really want to get into. I hate even saying his name, but... Uh, uh, Marcelino as well. Just someone who's an astute tactical guy and get this team set up and organized and get the most out of the current squad, whatever their deficiencies are. You, you hate you hate saying his name, but uh, I'm pretty sure he's the last manager to get his top half. Isn't that a slap in the face, James? Uh, he got his eighth place. Eighth yeah, place. He'll, and he'll never let you forget it either. Every media appearance he wants. That's to That's right, and apparently he was right five years later, huh? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we it's just regress. Something Aaron said, you know, this could have been prevented if we had been more proactive, essentially. And that sums up Everton to a T since Farad Mashiri's taken over. And if we had just been more proactive and empowered the right people to make the decisions, we wouldn't find ourselves in this spot. Um, we've got a few more topics, but we do not have anyone in the queue right now. So if people want to come up and speak, please raise your hand. We'd love to get as many of you involved as possible. Um, the other big news piece of the day that broke in the last few hours is uh, Farhad Mashiri. Is he or is he not selling? Because it feels like every five minutes uh, we get conflicting reports. First, the Guardian reported that uh, he did put, well, first, the I think the uh, fan advisory board put out the video with Farhad Mashiri and Jazz, as uh, I can't remember who it was earlier, alluded to. And Jazz is a great guy. We've met him as well. Um, super personable, and he's taken a lot of unnecessary flack over the last few weeks just due to fan anger, I think. Totally unwarranted. Um, he's a really great guy. But he had this interview with Farad Moshiri, and you know, to, it was Garrett, his point, spouting the same sort of talking points, pre-prepared corporate executive talk that you get from anyone who's in a tough position. I believe in the current situation. I believe we'll be able to get out of it. We're actually well-positioned. We're in a position of strength. You know, I, just the type of stuff that you hear, you know, CEOs right now in the tech sector who are doing layoffs, they all say the same thing. Like, it's a tough decision, but we're we're well situated for the future. It's clear that that's not the case. Talks a lot about the stadium. Um, and anyway, that long video comes out, which people should definitely check out. And then The Guardian comes out and says, actually, uh, Everson, Everton's for sale, 500 million asking price. And then Moshiri tells the Echo tonight that the club's not for sale. So it's this big back and forth, this whole to do. And it's all gotten a bit out of hand, but I think the prevailing sentiment among fans is that this guy needs to sell up and get out of the club before things get drastically worse because we are dropping like a stone and have basically done so since he took over. Alex, uh, before we get some folks up here to sound off, your thoughts on Moshiri's will he or won't we situation? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, a lot of people have been talking about it, but I'll start off by saying a lot of this comes down to PR. I'd like to say PR strategy, but it's really lack of PR strategy. So just PR, whatever they want to refer to it as. Um, and, you know, all of the news coming out over the last couple days, you know, it was rumored that Frank's team is are, are the people that uh, leaked the fact that he was fired, although, you know, Everton took forever to announce it. Um, you know, Dan Juma, you turn, blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, the back and forth about the fact that The Guardian releases that article, you know, right when the fan advisory board video comes out. So then Mashiri has to address, I believe it was Joe Thomas specifically wrote the, uh, the article tonight saying that it's false. Um, all I got to say is the last thing he would ever want is for the public to latch on to, you know, the fact that he's got the club up for sale or for investment, period. There's no way that helps him. It only hurts him. So first of all, even if it's true, um, he would always come out and say that it's not true because it's plausible deniability. Um, it weakens his negotiating uh, position when he wants to sell it. And I think also it weakens our position as a whole for a club because, you know, you, you're trying to hire a manager that's now going to be looking at it saying, you know, I'm, I'm walking into a business that I don't even know who I'm going to be working for in the next six months. Right. So let alone then how that cascades to trying to sign players and staying up and, you know, are people at the club even going to stay through you know, new management or new ownership. So I think um, it's a situation in which we'll, we'll never really know until it happens. You know, Garrett made the point. I don't see how it, how he does it when the stadium isn't finished. And I mean, to be completely honest, right now, right now today would be probably the lowest valuation Everton has had since he's owned it. It's probably got to be, right? The amount of debt that we have, the issues with um, uh, financial fair play, the fact that we're literally bottom of the league in points, um, we are searching for a manager with one week left. Uh, our only loan signing you turned in 24 hours to Spurs. I, uh, I don't see how, unless it was absolutely necessary, like he could not afford to hold it. Um, would, you know, would he sell? And all of that is to say, I still hope he does because there's never going to be a good time. Um, you know, and that's, that's a lesson. I, I hope he's listening right now. And taking my lessons learned from when he fired Frank, right? I'm, I'm being sarcastic <laughs> here, but, uh, you know, there's never a good time to fire the manager. There's never a good time to sack the board. And there's never a good time to sell up um, in regards to performance. But the time is now. So whether true or not, I I'm sure, I'm positive it will not happen, you know, during the transfer window. That's yeah. for sure. I'm sure it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a really kind of what you were alluding to, a really poorly kept secret at this point because if i think it's been rumored that the club's for sale and kind of known that the club has been for sale in some capacity for months now and we had the kaminsky consortium um in the summer that were rumored to be in talks and i don't think that he would have just sort of walked away from those talks and just said the club's not for sale anymore but to your point he's never going to admit it even if everyone and their brother knows that that's the truth um so the hope is that he's only doing it to shield himself to enhance and strengthen his negotiating position but um, it really just, it, he's got to go. And the scary thing is, even if he does sell, and the rumors are, uh, the report link said that Deloitte would handle the sale. He was a partner at Deloitte. Makes sense from that perspective. Um, th it's totally possible we could end up with a worse owner. I mean, it's it, people might find that hard to believe, but there are, in fact, people who could run it worse. Um, not much worse, to be clear. He's run it pretty poorly, but could certainly do it worse. But the hope is that the new person comes in, cleans house with the board, um, establishes some structure, but if we are, we're not in the Premier League at this point, it's going to be a really ugly financial picture, and I don't know who's going to be left or want to be left holding the bag for that mess. 
again, anyone who wants to come up and speak, please put your hand up. We'd love to hear from you about any of the, the items we've talked about. We've got Keith up here. Oh, Wait, yeah, let's get let's Keith get up. up. Hi, Keith. I, I often go to uh, across the pond, and I was actually across the pond for the Southampton match two weeks ago, and it, it, it wasn't great, as you know. Uh, my question is, I listened to the Double Pivot podcast today, and as you guys probably know, Goodman is a Evertonian, and he wanted to hire Sean Dyche, and I, I'm kind of like, ah, I don't know. Uh, but can you guys comment on that, Sean Dyche? Is he the guy? Yeah, I mean, I'll take it first, right? I, um, I'm not sure he's the guy. I think he could get it done, right? I, I, think, I think he could accomplish what we need to. I think he's got um, – I think he has the experience to do it as well. But I think the question is, you know, is that what we're after? Um, the frustrating thing is it's hard to, to sit between pragmatic um, but also aiming high in regards to where we're at, the situation we're in, the timing of, of the hiring, who's actually going to be available and, and willing to listen to it. So it's hard for me to say, I want Daishin. Some people may, you know, turn their nose up at that. But, you know, in long form, I guess all of that is to say, I believe he could do it. And I'd be interested to hear uh, James's thoughts. He could do it. He could, in fact, do it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't laugh no, at me. You're right. No, you're totally right. I mean, look, I'm not going to be like high and mighty. Oh, we're too good for Sean Dyche. Absolutely not, given the current state of affairs. Um, we have, we're in no position to be saying we're too good for Sean Dyche. I think if you want someone to come in of his nature and play kind of a four-four-two and very structured and rigid, and, and there's arguments that maybe that's not even how he wants to be. That's just sort of how he felt he had to play at Burnley to keep them up. And I think we probably need something similar. That's what guys like Marcelino probably would employ as a basic four-four-two. Um, for me, I still think there's better tacticians out there who could get a tune out of this squad. And we talked about Tedesco. Um, he's still one that, that sticks out to me. If it ends up being Daesh, I'd obviously much rather have Daesh than the alternative firefighter type guys. Uh, I think that's, I think there's a lot of people who'd probably agree with that. Of the guys who'd realistically come here, which I think at this point is becoming a shorter and shorter list by the day, uh, I'm, I'm starting to come around on the possibility of Daesh. But I think that the problem with Daesh is he's not going to be interested in a short term contract, I don't think. He'd want some sort of longer term commitment. Uh, multiple years and I just have a hard time committing to that brand of football for for the long term because I do, I, I do think we can aspire to be more um, if, it, if, if, it, if you're saying Sean Dyche six months keep us up and then you know look for someone else in the summer I'm all in but anything longer than that it just starts to muddy the waters a little bit I become a little more concerned it's also interesting because he's been you know he's been out of a job since Burnley and really the question should be has he not been contacted for other roles in the league up to this point or in leagues under or abroad? The question, I mean, the answer is probably yes. And if the answer is yes, and if he's good as, you know, as, as good as he says he is, then why, why Everton now? What? Unless we pay over the odds, well, why? Why would We do have it? a squad that is overwhelmingly English. That is one of the, the main features of his Burnley squads is very, very English. Um, so in that way, I think we're well suited to him. He's not the type of guy that's going to go. I mean, he, I don't know if he's the type of tactician. They wouldn't have him in Spain and Italy in any of the top five other European leagues, in my opinion. Um, so I think he's been waiting for another opportunity to get into the Premier League. And frankly, a lot of the other teams around us just recruit to a more specific style that he is not well suited to. They're clubs that have vision, have direction. Talking about you know the Brightons, really anyone that's that's come up. Those types of well-run clubs are not going to entertain someone like Sean Dyche because 
they're willing to take risks because they have more robust recruitment processes and they're not just going to go for the first name uh, of like the last five most recently sacked Premier League managers as their recruitment list, which it seems like that's what Everton wants to do. I don't know, Keith, what what do you think? I, I've seen a lot of people go for Daesh and I don't I don't begrudge those people at all. I can see the argument and, and in some ways I'm, I'm all for it. Well, I'll tell you the argument that Goodman made was that if we could just be bad cheaper for a few years, but not relegation bad, get the stadium built and then move on from there, it's compelling. The Bielsa stuff, I think he's a brilliant manager. I, we obviously, as you guys have noted, don't have the team for that. Uh, and so Dice seems to be a little bit uninspired, but maybe pragmatic. Uh, but you both noted, like, if we hire him, we have to have a plan for what comes after Dice. And our biggest problem with the board and the ownership is we don't have a plan. We're leaping from crisis to crisis, trying to save ourselves from relegation. Really, since the first year of Roberto's uh, regime, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. So until that changes, you know, it definitely matters who the, who the manager is. But structurally, that's got to change. I've got no confidence that that can change. And so, you know, we're left with just debating whether Sean Dyche can keep us up this year. Uh, it's unfortunate, but that, that's you know, kind of my analysis of where we are. And I, I think there's a lot right about that. I mean, if there really truly is no, if, if the board is as completely out of sync and all over the place as it seems from a lot of the rumors that are linked, then let's just go with Dyche because otherwise we're going to go wild and get, you know, we had, we saw Alan Stubbs and Phil Jagielko backing Wayne Rooney to be the next manager. I'm going to take Sean Dyche over Wayne Rooney every single day of the week. Don't care what anyone says over the likes of, Sam Allardyce or whoever else um, wouldn't surprise me if we try to bring Steve Bruce out of retirement at this rate with the names we're being linked with. Um, but appreciate your thoughts, Keith. I think Alex and I are, are getting ready to uh, wrap up here soon, but we do have, I uh, want to give one last chance for people to come on and speak. So please raise your hand if you're available. Uh, we have Caroline here. Love to bring her up and get her thoughts. Hi, Caroline. Sorry for the cold entry. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. So I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on something that my husband has said in the past and that Jamie Carragher kind of mentioned earlier this week, that when teams used to play against Everton, they knew that we were going to be fighters. They didn't want to come to Goodison Park. They knew that it was going to be a challenge to play against us just because of the energy of the players. And my question to you guys is, is do you think that trying to return to that type of mentality is possible with the players that we have. I see it a bit in Tarkowski, Pickford, of course, Patterson, but could we get our players back to that mentality and, and who could do it as a coach? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it. I think first and foremost, is going to be pretty hard to get the squad galvanized without the fans behind the team. And I don't think that's, you know, there's been a lot made about the fan protests and everything. I don't think the support of the fan base in Goodison Park is going to waver at all, um, at least not in the immediate future. Um, as far as just like the, the level of effort and like the fight, I mean, I think you do need, it depends on what style you want to play. Because if you bring in a dice who's going to kind of have our backs up against the wall, playing counterattacking style, that would be fine. I mean, if you want to talk about exciting football that is fast-paced, that would be Bielsa to a T. He'd come in and he would have us running all over the place, tearing five hamstrings a game and conceding six goals and maybe scoring seven. Um, but I, I just think it's also just a, a decline in, in Everton matched with other teams getting a lot smarter. I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily like people, players not trying or anything like that. I think other clubs have recruited really well. 
Uh, we have not, and they've recruited to a specific identity. We have not. And as a result, you have kind of this disjointed squad uh, with no continuity across managers or styles of play. And we don't really have a clear identity as a team. So whether the identity is hoofball, which has been kind of lately, or we play a possession-based game or we play a frantic up and down type of game, I just think we need to have some sort of identity as a club and, and that will galvanize support for the team. Alex, I don't know if you have thoughts. Um, I know you were kind of missing for the first part. It's, uh... Yeah, I mean, no, it's a, it's a good question. It's tough, though. I mean, you look at a lot of the squad, we talk about how a lot of these guys have seen off, you know, four or five, six Everton managers, and yet they're still playing a big role in the team. You know, people would argue even when, when they came into the team that a lot of these guys shouldn't have got the minutes that they did, and somehow they're still here. The question really is, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you motivate these players and, and they have to have something to play for. And that sounds really terrible, but I think there's a difference in how you approach anything emotionally. If you're, you know, if you're fighting behind, um, you know, if you're fighting at the bottom of the table and, and, and last season, you just barely scraped by in relegation. And, and now all of a sudden, um, you know, you're trying, you know, Frank is trying to tell these guys that they are, you know, they are worth it and they can, they can get top, top half or whatever, if they want to. And we have the, we have the talent, we're adding the right pieces. He believes in his system. Um, I think it's tough. And you know, I think it's also hard to, it's hard to speculate about those things because we don't really see them. I mean, we see them on the pitch and, and we see body language on, you know, NBCSN, but it doesn't always tell the same, you know, the whole story. And, um, you know, I, I personally, just in regards to effort alone, you know, I know that's not directly to your question, but there, there, I, I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head, very many instances in which I was looking at one of our players thinking, you know, he's just not even attempting to try. I really don't. Yeah. I think you may see that. Like we talk about on the pod sometimes like Onana doesn't always track back as hard as he could or something like that. But I don't think the players are going out there. Like they don't want to win. They don't want to try. Um, but I do think there's something to be said for just the, the position we find ourselves again this season. I, I can't remember when it was, but I had read something about, and it, it really hit home for me. It was a couple of years ago. It was after um, the Reds across the park, had mounted that really close title challenge and they had almost, I think they made it to the Champions League semis and they'd um, come up short on both occasions. And it just talked about like to work so hard and the level of performance and training that you have to sustain to achieve Champions League semis and come in second in the league and, and even to win the league is so high to then come up short and have to turn around and, okay, let's do it all again. That is incredibly mentally and physically taxing. And I think about that in a totally different context in relation to Everton where how taxing mentally it must have been to go through the relegation fight last year. I mean, I know how taxing it was for us as fans being totally unfamiliar with that situation, but a lot of these guys too had never been in a situation like this. Um, and, and for them to kind of escape that and the release after crystal palace and all that sort of stuff to then turn around and basically wind up in, in the same, probably worse position again, it's got to be just absolutely crushing to your mentality. And even the most disciplined and, and men, guys with high levels of mental fortitude, it's inevitable that they're going to struggle with that. Um, so I don't blame the players for like feeling really frustrated. And I know a lot of them liked Frank personally, but I do think that that's part of why the change in manager is so necessary because you need a guy to come in a fresh face, a new message to just kind of, kick them up the butt and get them motivated again and remind them what to play for. So um, I don't know, Caroline, hopefully that sort of answered your question. That was also me being super long winded. So I apologize, <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that's what I would say to, to that. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much guys. Yeah, thanks Caroline. 
All right. Um, we've got one more. We've got Mike. We'll get Mike up here real quick, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up because I know we all have lives, and frankly, we've probably all thought enough about Everton for the day. Um, <laughs> Hi, Mike. Are you there, Mike? I'm here. I did not see the unmute mic button. <laughs> yeah, oh, the first okay. time you come up. No worries. Uh, thoughts on anything we've discussed so far? Yeah, guys, I, I appreciate you having the space. It's always good to commiserate. You know, this can be a very lonely and uh, isolating club to support. Um, you know, my, my thoughts tonight are really more towards ownership and the, and the larger problem that we have. Um, and what I would love to see is if we can encourage the folks in, in Liverpool to just stop spending money with this club for a few weeks. Moshiri is an accountant. He, his training was an accountant. He worked at the big six firms. This is how he came up. He is a bean counter, number cruncher. That's his entire reason to be. We start to eliminate revenue. He's going to get the hell out much, much faster. Um, he's holding on to try to get some value back. We need to make this place such a terrible place for him to be and show the new future owners that there's tremendous upside if they take care of us we will take tremendous care of them so i just wanted to get in here to say that um, we should stop giving this for this fraud uh, our money and we should inspire the next owners of everton to come in and treat us the way that we deserve to be treated that's all i have to say guys thanks mike appreciate you coming up that is uh yeah, look, I, I I think that is like kind of the last method that really hasn't been attempted by the fan base. You know, you've had the, the mass protests and everything. No one's talked about um, divesting essentially from the club and just stopping giving them money. I think it's hard because you've got a lot of people who've invested significant portions of their income in a season ticket. They can't afford or like it, it's, it's not, e you know, some of us don't know what it's like to like really push to make ends meet just so you can afford a season ticket or even random ticket here and there to different games. And to ask people to basically just like eat that cost is not always easy, but I do think that, you know, if, if the message isn't being heard, then sometimes you have to go to, to more extreme peaceful measures, I'll say. Um, and that is one option that I don't think has been explored and would be really interesting. I just, I, I've seen people talk about it and it never feels like there's too much like authentic appetite for it um for the people who are actually in the city because like it's like a religion for them they go to the game that's what they do every single weekend they follow the team up and down the country it's really hard if you've been doing it for 5 10 15 20 40 50 years to all of a sudden just say i'm i'm done i'm not gonna go um but i think if, if things get much worse people will start becoming totally disinterested and, and just start to to tune out and if you're a football club, that's the worst case scenario because you normally have such a loyal, dedicated fan base and customer base. And if all of a sudden people just start stop caring, uh, normally you have a it puts you in a really tough spot. So I do think that that's a potential um, avenue to go down. I'm hoping it doesn't come to that. But if people want to go for it, I support people's right to protest however they choose. Alex, any final thoughts uh, on that or just in general before we wrap? No, just um, so many news updates. I'm sure that we'll hear twists and turns to come over the next week. Just want to say thank you to everyone tuning in. Um, obviously, everyone that, that joined us up to speak and give their thoughts too. And I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Just give the, the pod account a follow. Um, if you enjoyed it, check out our pod, the American Toffee Podcast. We couldn't get Ryan in here. He is uh, packing for a family vacation and not probably not thinking too much about Everton at the moment. So I know he does for probably like, a large portion of his day. 
But uh, give us a follow if you enjoyed. Check out the pod and uh, hope to do one of these again soon under more happy circumstances. Appreciate you all. And until next time, up the toffees and something.